Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, my guest on today's podcast is somebody that I connected with on Instagram. He's got one of the best ally Instagram pages that I've come across. And every time I'd see his Instagram, I'd say, I got to get his name is Jeff on the podcast to share his story. And um, here he is on the podcast. He's an active Latter-day Saint, lives in Virginia, a married father of three. Um, his church job is to teach early morning seminary. Um, but he's just a terrific ally. His Instagram account is, and we'll link to it in the show notes, is ladder.day.stonecatchers. And um, he has about 140 Instagram posts, but I scrolled back to his very first one. And here it is. Not throwing stones is the first step in treating others with compassion. The second step is to try to catch stones thrown by others. And that you may re recognize this from Elder Rendland. So I just found that interesting, Jeff. That's your very first post. And that was like 138 ago. And that's been your theme. Your whole Instagram account is this. And often it's you... Um, talking about your journey. You have um, pride um, tie, pride shirt. Um, you very much walk the talk. That's the right lingo. So um, Jeff's just going to share his story, um, stepping the space as an ally. This might be helpful for you. Every ally's got to kind of do this the way that works for them. Some do it on, involves social media, some don't, some form community in their own area or just make a nice comment and release this out of your elders quorum. Every ally's kind of got to do this their own way and not feel pressure to do it like somebody else. But I thought Jeff's story would help you allies. And if you're queer, our hope is um, Jeff's insights will lift you and know that there's people who are very focused on improving your experience and deeply care about you. Um, Jeff said a prayer before we started. We said a prayer together. Um, we just hope this podcast helps you. Um, is that okay for an introduction, Jeff? That's perfect, Richard. Thank you. So I will just turn it over to you. Jeff, as I may mention, is an active Latter-day Saint, served a mission in Montana. Um, so I'll turn it. Now I really will turn it to you. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to be here. Um, as you said, I said a prayer uh, before joining and definitely have a prayer still with me in my mind and my heart, just hoping that anybody who listens to this can feel that they are loved. That is just so much of what I want to accomplish with everything that I do. Loved by me, loved by you, of course, as everybody who is familiar with your podcast knows and Beloved by our heavenly parents and the healer Jesus Christ, so I'm, I'm thrilled and also admittedly a little nervous to share um, my story here uh, with your wonderful audience. So I'll I'll try not to bore anybody with any long autobiographical uh, monologues, anything like that. But um, there are pieces of this story that go back uh, a ways that I think helped to inform kind of where I came from and. Um, where I am now. And I, that's an important part of my story I want to cover because as we'll talk about a little bit, I, um, although I don't, I don't like thinking about this. It's, it's part of expansion and spiritual journey. I really haven't always been an ally. And I think that's an important thing to note um, because it, to see where I was and where I am now, um, any, anybody, can be an ally. Um, if I am now, then those who may not be now can be later. So um, I, I was born into the church. I was raised in the church. My parents tried very hard to have family home evening um, every Monday. That was very much a thing um, when I was being raised in the church. It was Monday nights. Um, it was in Utah, and so there were no school activities. There were no church activities. Monday night was reserved for that. My Dad tried very much to have us have family scripture study every day. And, you know, it was a very wonderfully solid um, home that I really benefited from. And uh, because I think we sort of, I don't, I don't like the idea that there is the mold. Um, and I think we're trying to kind of break that and help people realize that all types of families, all types of people are welcome in the church. Um, I know that my family 
and it did fit the stereotypical mold and that made things come easy for me um, as far as the church is concerned um, and even just, I guess, culturally in general, right? Um, I uh, grew up in the church, was baptized, received the Aaronic priesthood at 12, served a mission when I was uh, 19. Um, and through a lot of that process, you know, don't really remember asking a whole lot of questions or even really having a whole lot of questions. Um, when I was on my mission, I remember I gained a love for reading. And maybe that's because, you know, that was kind of the only entertainment <laughs> that we had um, uh, was reading. And um, I remember my mission president had a rule that once we had read the entire missionary reference library twice, then we could read any um, uh, church approved books or other things off of uh, LDS.org. And so I made sure to burn through that missionary reference library as fast as I could and then started reading a bunch of other things um, because I, I loved learning about the church. I loved learning about church history and the doctrine. Um, that, was, um, that, was, that was important to me at that time, which was interesting because I honestly wasn't always uh, a big reader. I, I don't remember reading very much uh, before my mission. So uh, I got home and that love, that love and passion for reading and learning about the church and the gospel continued. Um, I, I actually got a job at Deseret Book after my mission, and that resulted in me spending a large amount of my paychecks at Deseret Book to continue buying books. And as I continued to learn, I remember I had this goal to own every book I could about Joseph Smith, or every book that had ever been printed about Joseph Smith. I just wanted to learn all that I could. Um, and I loved the prophet Joseph. And um, as you or others might be able to imagine, as I continued to read more about Joseph Smith and church history and other things um, that happen as a church is developing and growing with imperfect people, I began to come across things that didn't fit with my idea of uh, how I understood church history and the way I suppose that we would expect um, somebody who'd been called as a prophet would act. Um, and that was that was easy for me to sort of ignore for a while, but the more I read, that become that that became uh, difficult for me. Um, I didn't want to stop reading and studying. I felt like that was important, but learning those things did become difficult. And it was at that time I remember reading about friends um, who learned similar things, and because of those things, and I know no decision is simple. Uh, because of those and other things, decided to leave the church. And I remember wondering if that was the right thing to do in light of these things that I was learning. And that was a difficult time. I remember it was just after my youngest um, child, my, my son Austin, was born. And I remember all of this sort of uh, came to a head. I remember talking really late one night with my wife, Jessica, who's wonderful and patient. And I just wasn't sure about anything anymore. Uh, I, I wasn't sure, uh, certainly wasn't sure that the church was true, although that was a testimony that I had borne probably hundreds, maybe thousands of times in my life, certainly as a part of my mission. Um, I wasn't even sure that um, I had a heavenly father or that, or that there was a God that was looking after us. Um, I just, I, 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 I just didn't know those things. I not only didn't know them. I, I think that I knew that they weren't true um, at that time. And I, I remember just feeling that I can, in recalling that, I can feel the weight of of that, um, knowing that our churches, or excuse me, our family's life was so wrapped up in the church and the gospel, and also all the good things that it had done for me, and trying to reconcile that with these other feelings I was having, it was, it was really hard. It was, it was really, really difficult. It's and it's a hard thing to describe, um, but if you've been through an experience like that, um, I think you know kind of what that feels like, and it and it is difficult. And I wasn't sure what to do. Um, the church and the gospel had brought so much goodness into our lives um, as a family. Um, and I was also in a position where, although I was having these feelings, my, um, 
you know, my my wife Jessica definitely was not. She <laughs> the, she didn't have questions. She didn't have doubts, which I think is okay. Um, and um, I think I even needed somebody like that in my life. What I decided through this process was to kind of keep doing what I was doing while I tried to figure out what to do next because I didn't know what to do next. I figured I might as well just kind of keep going until until I knew for sure what was next for me. Um, and I did that for quite a while, uh, maybe a couple of years. Um, and as I continued to read and study, I you know came across, I guess, maybe apologetic type resources that were more defending the church and trying to explain some of these difficult things in church history that happened. And I discovered podcasts. That was the first time I'd ever listened to podcasts that address things in a similar light. And somehow um, over these um, uh, over this period of time, I remember I also went to some fair Mormon conferences, um, which were which were big for me at that time um, in trying to reconcile these things. Um, and, and I suppose this was uh, almost 10 years ago, actually. Um, but I, I somehow managed to kind of put my faith back together in a way that looked a lot different than what it, what, what it had been before. I have this vision of, um, you know, my testimony was built a certain way from when I was born up until, uh, you know, I guess almost 30 years later. And I, and it felt like everything just sort of, you know, in my mind, I'm seeing blocks just sort of fall to the ground and, and there was, there was no block left standing. Um, but over time I discovered things, um, or was reminded of things within the church that, I did have a testimony of that did ring true to me. And I was honest with myself about um, what, what I, what, what did resonate with me and what didn't. And I was okay being in this position of holding on to those things that did resonate with me and not worrying about those things that didn't. And rec because I recognized that just like me being offered grace for mistakes that I may make um, others in church history or, in Christian history needed to be offered that same, that same grace and understanding. Um, and that I wasn't going to base my faith, um, and belief in heavenly parents based on what, um, others had uh, necessarily done that may or may not, may or may not have been in line with either the teachings of the church or even with their own teachings. Um, uh, and, Anyway, I, I, I sort of refer to this period as kind of my first reconstruction uh, because I felt like it all fell apart, and then I kind of put it all put it all back together, and and I'm grateful for that um, that I had that opportunity to really analyze and go through piece by piece um, my testimony and what I believed and what I was still working on, what I was okay, maybe putting to the side for the time being. Um, that was, that was an important time. Um, sort of as I felt like maybe I pulled it back together, so to speak. And I guess I should uh, make a quick note. I recognize that that's not how everybody's spiritual journey or, um, I know often we use the term faith crisis, and at the time it absolutely felt like a crisis, that not everybody comes out that same way. I think that that's okay. Um, I certainly don't want to say that I did it the right way. Um, you know, what I what I did then and what I'm doing now, which is, I feel like, miles even from where I was back then, is my own personal spiritual journey and my own personal faith expansion. And certainly I wouldn't prescribe that um, to anybody. But um, as as part of that, and when I really like realized or um, had kind of pulled things back together, my family and I actually moved to London. Up until this point, we just lived in Utah. Um, but we had an opportunity to go to London for my work, and that was an incredible opportunity. Um, it was wonderful to go over there professionally, but also personally, our family grew together so much. And I was also able to see the church in a very different light. We moved to somewhere where 
Um, our kids were, were absolutely the only members of our church in school, which we thought was wonderful. Um, we had to take a bus for about 45 minutes just to get to church. In fact, my kids still give me a hard time that on Christmas, one year we were there, church was on Christmas um, and all public transportation shuts down on Christmas. So we had to walk to church on Christmas, which was about a mile and a half away um, or maybe two miles away. And then we'll walk back before we could open any presents. And I think my kids were four, six and eight at the time. Um, so they still give me a hard time about that. But um, so we were in London in this really small ward and I, I loved being part of the church there. I felt like we were able to serve people and help people, not just in a way that was trying to get them to come to the church, but in a way that actually that, that made a difference in their lives that we could come together and really just help people. I, I really enjoyed that time in London. And the other thing that I really benefited from, from a faith perspective there is we encountered people of any different faith or belief system that you could imagine. I mean, London, I mean, I don't know for sure, but has to be one of the most diverse places on the planet. And, um, you know, even just in their school classes, they would have people who were, of course, many different types of Christian, um, whether it be Church of England or Catholic or Protestant or Methodist or anything else, but um, also members who were um, Sikh or uh, Muslim or or any anything else that you can imagine. We were able to have conversations with individuals that follow these different faith traditions. And it, as strange as it may sound, for somebody who spent his entire life in Utah, um, other than my mission up until that point, it was so wonderful to see how fulfilling their faith traditions for them um, were for them, and also how they rejoiced and how fulfilling our faith tradition was for us. And I remember being, uh, I don't like to admit it, but almost a little bit surprised by that, right? That it didn't have to be this, hey, we're right and you're wrong, or maybe you're kind of right, but this will make you more right. It was this wonderful experience where um, you know, our friends, my daughter's friend, who their family were atheists, were thrilled to come to my daughter's baptism and witness something that was important to us. Um, and, and we were just as happy to talk to our friends about the experiences that were meaningful to them um, in their faith tradition. And we visit all kinds of cathedrals and um, other churches and witnessed holy uh, ceremonies in observance of Christmas or Easter as a part of being there that um, it, it was, it was just wonderful to see the diversity uh, so many different ways of our heavenly parents, children worshiping them in ways that were meaningful to each of those different individuals and that, and that we could coexist and learn from each other and love each other. And, um, and, and not have to fight about who was right and who was wrong. That was really a wonderful experience for me. So um, I feel like I'm spending too long on this, but we, we came back to Utah and, um, um, and Utah is wonderful. Um, after living in a place like London, it didn't necessarily work for us. And um, we wanted to be, we wanted to be somewhere a little bit different. Um, and uh, I think, and there were a lot of reasons, um, but, the main reason that we moved to Virginia is we came to visit my brother here a couple of times. I have a brother who lives here. And the second time when we left, we got in the car to drive home. Yes, we drove um, three kids and two dogs, three days in a car. That's uh, a little bit crazy. We got on the car to leave. And my wife, Jessica looked at me and said, we're moving to Virginia. And I said, there's absolutely no way that we can make that work. It's not going to happen. Um, but over the next three days, we talked about it and she helped me realize that this wasn't just a personal desire or a personal wish, that in fact it was coming at personal sacrifice, but that it was something that um, God had told her that we should do. And I, there is no doubt in my mind that that was pure inspiration um, to her as um, uh, the matriarch of our, of our family. There's no doubt in my mind. 
Um, and thankfully she was open to that revelation, even though I took some convincing. Um, so we, um, and I, I, as I glanced on my outline, I realized we skipped a few things. Before we moved to Virginia, I remember getting back to Utah after having this wonderful diversity experience. And we moved into a, a play, into a city where, and into a ward where in that specific area, there had been um, a lot of challenges for youth who identified as LGBTQ. Um, and that isn't really something that I had encountered or, or even given a whole lot of thought to up until that point. Um, the only thought I can remember giving it before then was um, were, were things that we had learned, things that I had learned um, within the church um, not necessarily that um, there were official church teachings, but things that I learned within the church about how um, it was some sort of a, um, oh, I'm, I'm searching for the right words, um, but some sort of a weakness or something that can be overcome, something that's just struggled with. Um, it's not something that's part of somebody's identity. It's something that's more of a challenge or a trial. Um, and that we all have different challenges or trials and that this is, you know, maybe the one that they were given, um, but that, but that it wasn't part of their identity. Um, and, um, and, and I, I, and I remember firmly believing in that, um, up until this point, but Back in Utah, and I'm sorry, I'm rewinding a little bit before we moved to Virginia. Um, I remember a few families in my ward or in my area who had youth who identified as LGBTQ plus, and they were wonderfully active families. They, I mean, they were extremely involved in every aspect of the ward. They had high demand callings. They were to, they went to every party, every every dinner, every activity, you know, whatever. Um, and then they would slowly kind of just recede from activity in the church and then stop coming. Um, and I was... It was just something I hadn't encountered before, and I, I knew I needed to learn more about that and try and understand what was happening there. Thankfully, in that same ward, there was an individual who made a comment in a gospel doctrine class, um, and I don't remember what he said, but I remember the impression I got as he was speaking was, that person is gay, and you need to invite them over for dinner. And that's one of the handful of times in my entire life that I can remember having a specific prompting to, to do something that wasn't a feeling that it was words into my mind. And I didn't know this person at all. They seemed extremely nice, but, but I didn't know them at all. Um, and it took me longer than I wish it would have, but I eventually just texted them and said, you know, this is Jeff from the ward. We would love to have you over for Sunday dinner. Um, you know, let, let us know what day works for you. And I will be forever grateful that this individual was willing to accept probably a very clumsy invitation from somebody who they didn't even know and had no reason to trust. But I remember they came to our house our, th our three kids were there. It was just him. And we had a, you know, we had a great conversation about whatever. I mean, he, he was very good at drawing and he did great conference notes and things like that. And so we talked about some of that. The kids, um, two of our kids went out to play. Um, and I remember just telling him how grateful we were that he'd come over to our house and he paused 
And he said, I have to tell you, after I got your message, the first thing that I did after texting you back was call my mom and just tell her you will not believe what just happened. Somebody in my ward invited me over for dinner and I think that they already know that I'm gay. And he said he was just weeping. And some, something happened within me that I think had gradually been coming, but something happened within me at that. That was a major turning point for me where I realized this is a person, this is a child of a heavenly parents who is different than me that just, that needs to be loved, but hasn't been because of something about them that is just part of their identity. And how is it that I, we can not do that? He, he, this person had to be one of the most active and involved he volunteered for everything in the ward. He wanted to be part of everything, part of every service, part of every everything. How, how can we, why would we not, why would I not do everything that I can to help this individual know that their heavenly parents love them and welcome them to church with 100% open arms? Um, and I, I think all of us at the table cried, and I, I don't even remember other things that we talked about. He told us a little bit more of his story, and it had been extremely painful. Um, and it's not it's not my story to tell, so I won't share it here. But I was so grateful to him that he was willing to come over and trust two people who who he didn't even know because um, that was that was a big turning point for me. From there, I knew that I had to learn more and I started reading and thinking and um, I realized that something needed to be done to help my siblings who were LGBTQ plus feel welcome at church. Some may not want to be there and that's okay. But there are so many that do, and I. it is my responsibility to do everything I can to help them feel welcome, to, to help everybody feel welcome, but especially this group who has been made to feel that they're not welcome. Um, so that was a big turning point that I wanted to make sure that I, I talked about since I kind of fast-forwarded through it trying to um, get through my entire um, life story. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm very grateful to this individual that they trusted us enough to do that. Um, we moved to, um, after that, I remember the pandemic shut everything down while we were still in Utah and our family thrived spiritually in that situation. I know not everybody did. And so I want to be careful talking about this, but because we had an opportunity to just stay home and read scriptures together and talk about the things that were meaningful to us and the way that we understood the scriptures. Our family really thrived spiritually um, under that scenario. Um, not long thereafter, we did end up moving to Virginia. And as part of that, um, we stayed with my brother um, for a little bit. And um, because of health concerns, um, you know, the, the pandemic was kind of still in full swing um, and advice from doctors for certain members of the family. The, the advice was that nobody in the household should go to places where mask wearing was not at um, 90, 90% or higher. Um, and that was the advice that, that was received from doctors. And so that's what we wanted to do. Um, thankfully, our kids were still able to go to school, um, but what it did mean is that we unfortunately weren't able to attend church in person. Um, 
And, and that was, a lot of that was okay, because as I mentioned before, our family really thrived under this scenario of doing church at home. Um, Come Follow Me, as we all know, kind of came out right before that. We started this tradition called Come Follow Me in Crepes, where on Sundays, I just make a pile of crepes. We have all kinds of not nutritious toppings, cookie butter, Nutella, peanut butter, powdered sugar, you know, all, all kinds of things, chocolate chips. Um, and we just have tons of crepes until we can barely stand up and we talk about whatever the come follow me lesson is for that week. And our kids love that. And we continue that tradition there. And it's been a very powerful way to talk about the scriptures with our kids because they look forward to it. They love it. We can't get by without doing it because they remind us, when are we doing crepes and come follow me? Um, And we've really been able to talk about the scriptures quite a lot. Um, As things started opening up and we were kind of returning to in-person church. Um, I, there were some difficulties in that um, for me um, because I felt like we had studied the scriptures so much together and kind of our little family and talked about um, the importance of um, um, welcoming those who feel unwelcome at church, um, gathering those as Jesus did in his ministry, who potentially um, religion or society had sort of left behind. Um, And No, um, and there was some difficulty in feeling like maybe the messages that we talked about at home weren't always, weren't the messages at the forefront of what was being talked about um, uh, at church. Um, And uh, specifically regarding our LGBTQ plus um, brothers and sisters, and I, I know every ward is different, and I know every ward is hopefully improving and expanding, and that no church unit should be expected to be perfect at any one time. And so I don't want this to come across as any sort of a condemnation, um, certainly of the church or my ward or my my local area or anything like that. Um, but when you become acutely aware of of how our LGBTQ plus siblings can feel um, unwelcome and unloved. Um, it's it's difficult to, to be in a situation where you don't feel like maybe there's as much outreach as there could be. Um, and I remember that being so difficult for me that I had to go through sort of a second um, um deconstruction and expansion. And this one wasn't worried about what had happened in the past. It was more so what wasn't happening in in the current situation. And um, that was that was hard. I didn't know what to do. I felt like I was being pulled in several different directions. Um, and my, my, my wife, Jessica, um, again, who's wonderful. I know that it was difficult for her, but in a different way. Um, she wasn't quite having the same, she wasn't in the same position as me. She was being understanding of where I was coming from, um, but wasn't feeling the same whole, like maybe the church wasn't working um, for her anymore. Like I felt like potentially it was, was not working for me. And it was hard. I remember not sleeping. Um, I remember just having a hard time at church. Um, and we would talk about it a lot. And I remember one of the best, the best thing that she said to me, which I think was probably extremely scary for her to say to me was, I remember one night we were driving, it was rainy. 
Um, I, I remember everything very specifically, um, but she said, Jeff, it's okay if you need to leave. Um, and I was really surprised by that um, because I, I think that I hadn't admitted my, within myself that that would be okay. I think I kept telling myself all the reasons why that wouldn't be okay. Um, and, and so I had felt like I had this continual fight within myself. Um, and some days I felt like, I mean, I, I don't even know how to phrase it, but sometimes I felt like, um, you know, the Jeff who was born and raised in the church was winning that battle. And sometimes I felt like the Jeff who was seeing problems and issues and need for improvements was winning. And I just felt like this constant internal battle that was just exhausting. And somehow her saying that to me really put that to rest. And I realized I could do what I felt like I should do based on my personal relationship with my heavenly parents um, and with the healer, Jesus Christ. And I thank her so often, maybe too often, for her willingness to say that to me, because I do think that that was probably extremely difficult for her to say, um, but it made all the difference in the world for me. From there, I could let go of this tension and instead focus on my personal spiritual relationship um, with the divine and my personal spiritual expansion. And as I was kind of in the thralls of doing that, is when um, they asked my brother and I if we would teach seminary. And I remember when we got that call, I thought, you have got the wrong guy. You don't know. <laughs> you, you don't know what I've just been through. I, I, I felt like I had literally been on the edge of just saying, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And now you want me to come and teach some high school kids about, about the church, um, I, um, oh man, uh, and and they gave us some time to think about it. Thank goodness. And in thinking about it and talking with my wife, I remember thinking, if I have faith that this um, calling extension is inspired, that means that my heavenly parents want uh, want me to be a seminary teacher for these students for whatever reason, whether it's because of what I've been through, maybe it's, maybe it's in spite of what I've been through. I, I don't know what the reason is, but if, but if it is inspired, that means, that means there's something for me to offer. Um, because I remember feeling like, well, if I'm going to be a seminary teacher, I have to do it this way. I have to do it the way that you think a by-the-book seminary teacher might do that. And not that I wanted to do anything um, absolutely crazy, but I just remember, I felt like I approached things a little bit differently. I My focus was a little bit different um, than maybe what I might think a seminary teacher's focus should be, or what I remembered my seminary teacher's focus being. But I remember being at peace with the decision that if they're asking me to do this, then I will then I will do this the way that I feel inspired to do it. Of course, respecting that it's a church calling um, and that I need to, you know, I, I do feel like there's some sort of some boundaries there. Right. Um, and, um, but that I would approach it the way that I wanted to, um, or the way that I felt inspired to, not the way I wanted to, the way that I felt inspired to. I think there's an important distinction there. Um, and, so we told them that we would do it. There was a long interview process because they really vet, at least in our area, they vet seminary teachers pretty thoroughly um, because they're trusting them to spend an hour a day with these kids and help them come to know their heavenly parents, which is, um, which is an, it's an important, it's a, it's a very important thing. Through this process, I remember reading Isaiah chapter one, um, and being really struck by the message that was there. Isaiah starts out by calling out the children of Israel, and he tells them, well, so 
he called, he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, I think it's in verse 10. Um, he says, children of Sodom, you know, you're not doing the right things. He, and then he essentially tells them your temple worship, not doing anything for you. Your Sabbath worship, not doing anything for you. Your feast days, your festivals, your prayers, none of this is doing any good for you. In fact, it says that God hates those things is what it says in Isaiah. And I'm reading this and thinking, what is going on here? And then in verse, I think it's 16. I better just open it so I don't totally ruin it. Um, he tells them to the secret or not the secret, but what they should be doing. And this has been on my mind ever since. And it was a year ago. In verse 17, it says, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the the widow. And the KGV isn't fantastic (laughs) of a translation there. One of my favorites, um, other translations, it lists those things as make the oppressed happy, defend the orphan, and argue the widow's case. And I just remember having this strong impression that that is what the gospel is about. And that's, of course, what Jesus's ministry was all about, right? I love the way that translation phrases it as make the oppressed happy. And I remember having this very, very clear impression um, thinking about who the oppressed are in our day um, and their minorities, whether um, um, racial, racial minorities, sexual minorities, people who feel like they don't fit the mold, people who feel unwelcome or who have been told that they're unworthy um, or, or don't belong. Those are the people that I think need to be taken care of. Those are the people care of in his, his ministry, Isaiah is even, if you don't this thing, if you don't make the oppressed happy, then everything else that you're doing, sacrifices in the temple, following the Sabbath day, feast days, everything else, God hates it. And I know that's a strong word that we don't like to use, but that's what Isaiah is saying. All those things are important, but only insofar as they lead you to make the oppressed happy, um, to to defend those who need uh, defending to argue the case for those who feel like they have nowhere else to turn. Um, And I remember thinking this needs to be a part of how I approach seminary. And it was from the very beginning. I knew that statistically within my seminary class, there would probably be anywhere from three to six individuals who identify as LGBTQ, whether currently or later on in their life. And one of my main goals as a seminary teacher was for those individuals to know that their heavenly parents love them, that they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that there's nothing about their identity that can, or even the choices that they make that could remove the love, the divine love that exists for them. My goal was to make sure that those individuals felt that. Um, of course, I'm on the goal of helping everybody in the class develop and maintain a, a relationship with their heavenly parents. But my goal was to do what Isaiah was saying, is to make those individuals happy. Um, those individuals who maybe had had a hard time finding happiness um, sometimes within the church. And so from the very first day, um, I know this podcast is only audio, but I know you can see it, Richard. There's this painting behind me called God is Love um, by Tara and Sage of Jesus Christ putting his arms around two children with with rainbow clothes on. And we displayed that every single day of the first semester to make sure that anybody who was in our class knew that Jesus Christ loved individuals who were LGBTQ. Um, we we knew that we potentially receive a little bit of pushback um, and we were okay with that because we were there for everybody but also specifically for these individuals Um, and in teaching seminary and having conversations with some of these students I remember 
having this strong impression that the message that we were sharing with them had to go to more people. <laughs> um, we had we would have students just come and talk to us about how meaningful a certain lesson was and that they'd never heard a certain a specific story with that kind of meaning. I remember after a lesson about grace, one individual came up to us and said, I, I realized that grace was a thing, but I did not realize that grace was everything. And that, that statement has really stuck with me. And I thought, how many kids are there? How many people, how many members of the church are there that don't realize that grace is everything? Yes, there are things that we're asked to do, um, but it's all about grace. And I, I remember that was one specific time I thought, I've, I've got to find a way to share this with more people. Eventually, that led to um, starting the Latter-day Stone Catchers Instagram account, which was started in October, I think, of last year. Um, and we were, I was trying to think of the right name. I wanted it to be LDS, you know, for obvious reasons. And I was thinking Latter-day Salt, Latter-day Stone Droppers, because there's another account that I like that's something about drop the stones. Um, and I was texting with some family members and my sister said, do you remember this quote from Elder Renland in general conference? Um, and she reminded me of it. She said, so how about Latter-day Stone Catcher? And I thought, that's it. That, that has to be it. Latter-day Stone Catchers. And so I started the Instagram account and it was so, so wonderful. Um, it's, I feel like it's still small and that's okay because I've been able I've been able to hear from so many wonderful people um, how something that has been shared, a certain perspective on a scripture story or something has been meaningful to them and helped them feel their heavenly parents' love. And that that's not me. That, um, that's 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 God's love reaching reaching out to them through that. And I am so grateful for that. And the Instagram account has been wonderful. I remember in going through it and hearing from some of these people um, and, uh, and especially from some who had felt like some traditional church resources um, were harder for them to use because, because they were queer, because they felt like um, because they didn't fit the mold sometimes the way that things were discussed or approached or even just vocabulary that's used um, by others not realizing that it can be hurtful um, to those who are queer, how much it would mean that, how much it meant to them to find something that would help them um, feel the love and joy coming from the scriptures um, without, uh, that was a safe place. And after hearing from several people like that, I knew that I also needed to start a podcast. Um, and that's that's where the Latter-day Stone Catchers Come Follow Me podcast came from, which just started this year for the New Testament. Um, because I wanted I wanted those who who at times felt like um, I know for me myself, I've had to step away from a certain gospel doctrine class or a certain Sunday school lesson. Um, in most situations, not because the teacher is being antagonistic or hurtful, but just maybe they haven't had the same lived experience or just aren't aware of certain things or um, the way that other certain words and phrases and ideas can have such a hurtful impact um, on our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. I wanted to create a place where this group of individuals who, for whatever reason, hadn't been able to find a good place to study the scriptures and to help them see God's love for them. That's all over the scriptures. I wanted to create a safe place for them to be able to find that because that is so, so important. Um, the scriptures are there to help us feel divine love, not to help, not to make us feel bad, not to make us feel guilty or shame or anything like that. They're, they're there to help us feel divine love. And I wanted to make sure that everybody had an opportunity 
who feel that, not just those who um, kind of fit the stereotypical mold. And that has been such a wonderful experience um, that has honestly changed me. Um, as I've heard from more people and heard their stories and what was meaningful to them, it's opened my eyes even more to the love that is in the scriptures, the inclusivity that is in Jesus Christ's ministry, the way that he gathers everybody, but especially those who feel like have been left behind. Um, it's been an incredibly powerful experience. And that's that's kind of where we are now with um, Latter-day Stone catchers, and it's wonderful. That was much longer than I anticipated without allowing you to say anything, Richard. So I'm going to pause there um, and <laughs> let you let you speak. Well, um, Jeff, on behalf of all of our listeners, that was terrific. Um, seriously, the I mean, I don't want to speak because it takes sometimes takes away this from the spirit of my guest. As you know, listeners, I kind of write down things, and these are the things that came to my mind as Jeff was speaking, and they may be different from yours, but these are some of the highlights. I, When you talked about reconstruction, I thought of Jared Halverson's um, talk, Don't Let a Good Faith Crisis Go to Waste. And I just love the way he positioned that in a positive way. And, and then you used a term no one's ever used before. Usually we talk about deconstruction and reconstruction. And that's the term I kind of use to reconstruct my faith as a Latter-day Saint. But you said deconstruction and expansion. And that was really thoughtful. Um, so you also talked about being kind of clumsy as you stepped in this space. And that's exactly the way I felt. I remember I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. I didn't. So I often just didn't say anything. So a lot of your journey kind of resonates with me and and it's okay listeners to be clumsy. I think that's part of the journey to learn this space and then you're able to do the things that Jeff's do and to lift other people's burdens. Um, I love your humility to say I wanted to learn and understand and um, the courage that takes to say I don't know everything. Um, I love this, maybe the most tender part of this podcast for me was um, the gay man that you felt impressed was gay, but you didn't out him. You just invited him over to his home. And the how much that meant to him that he texted, you know, a typical ward member wouldn't text their mom if they got invited over to somebody else's, but he texted his mom and said, and I think they know I'm gay. And I just kind of brought me into his world that here was a couple with their kids that wanted him over to be and how much that meant to him and how much we need to feel loved and belonged and accepted. And that was just a beautiful moment of following the spirit, even though it was maybe awkward and you were, we might be clumsy and it was just this beautiful moment. I thought of, um, as you were talking about reconstruction, I thought of Fowler's Stages of Faith listeners. You might check that out. It's just um, this idea that we sometimes go through stages of faith. But then I thought about your role as a seminary teacher. And often, because you've gone through these stages of faith, it doesn't mean your seminary students need to, but it just means I think you have more tools, just like Jared Halverson has, to reach people and to build sort of long-term skills in their faith journey so that they can handle the complexities um, that you went through as you learned more about the life of Joseph Smith and was able to see what it's like to be, you know, from a perspective of queer Latter-day Saints. So I, I love that you're a seminary teacher, and I love um, that you're a safe person. I think that painting you talked about signals that I can talk to my seminary teachers yeah, you're, if you've got a queer youth or two, they can feel safe opening up to you if they feel like it's time. But I think it also signals to straight youth that, okay, this guy's pretty real. He can handle the realities of my testimony or the things I'm working for. So I think that's what Jesus role modeled in his ministry. And if we can take visual imagery, and often that's the Pride Colors listeners, and we're recording this in Pride Month, and a lot of people feel like Pride's in a political agenda. Um, to confuse people. And I look at it as just a, a signal as I'm a safe person for you to open up to me straight or queer about the realities of your life. And 
And so I think some of the conversations you and your brother are happening are because of the role model um, example you are with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. I love your wife, Jessica, and you, you, your shout out to her for giving you space. Um, that takes a lot of courage and not everybody that gets that sort of space from their spouse is going to stay in the church. But for you, I think it's what you needed to completely own your relationship with the church. And then you said something, I tried to write all these down, listeners. You said, then I could let go of the tension of, you know, how is this going to work in my marriage and focus on my relationship with God. And so much of your, um, you pulled out those well-marked scriptures as you looked up Isaiah. And so much of your journey is um, connecting with your heavenly parents, um, the Savior, and and doing and learning that through scripture study and prayer. Um, I loved Isaiah. No one has ever shared that verse. I think it's verse, it's Isaiah 117. And I love, you know, now that I'm an ally, I read scriptures sometimes. We, we're always taught to read scriptures and how they speak to us at the times of our life. I certainly mm-hmm. found that as a parent raising kids and as a husband. And now as an ally, that happens quite a bit. Um, but I'm reminded of the best example I know of a modern day, you know, apostle. I'm using that same language. It's Elder Uchtdorf, and I'll put this in the show notes. When he talked to the inner city mission in Salt Lake, quote, we could cover the earth with members of the church, put a meeting house in every corner, dot the land with temples, fill the earth with copies of the Book of Mormon, send missionaries to every country, and say millions of prayers. But if we neglect to grasp the core of the gospel message and fail to help those who suffer or turn away those who mourn, and if we do not remember to be charitable, we as our waste and, there's ref- and which the refiners do cast out. So that when you talked about Isaiah, I thought of that quote from Elder Uchtdorf and, and then your journey to be a stone catcher and, and your sister, I think, that helped you come up with that. And your account is just terrific. And I had actually forgotten you do a podcast. Sorry about that. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, oh, you no, have no, no problem at all. I knew that at one point. Um, you have a YouTube channel. L- listeners will link to um, Jeff's podcast, his YouTube channel. Um, but this, to me, is taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jeff isn't writing new doctrine or going rogue on what Christ taught. To me, he's just, this is a practical implementation of Christ's invitation to reach out the most marginalized and help them feel full inclusion. And more of our younger people in the church are wired to do that. Um, and from birth, perhaps, or from um, when they start to realize there's people walking, sometimes it's... Um, so this is just a beautiful story. And those are my notes, listeners. There was a lot of golden nuggets in there. And um, I think more people are kind of feeling this desire as part of their baptism covenants to do what you are doing, what I'm trying to do. And But I think one of the things I said at the beginning is don't feel like, oh, I can't quite do it like Jeff. I'm even a seminary teacher, but I can't quite put up that painting. Don't feel guilty. Everybody's kind of in their circle of influence and what they can do and what works in their ward. I don't have a pride flag in front of my home. I have, you know, I, I have pride LGBTQ high in my bio and I've had that for probably 10 years, well, eight years now. And so I don't have a pride flag in front of my home and I don't, so everybody, I don't, so I just try to use that. Everybody's got to do this the way that works for them and um, write your own story as an ally, the best way you can do that. And sometimes you're going to feel some tension. (laughs) Um, Some people are going to be critical of you or doubt your commitment to the church and, or your faithfulness. And that's just the tension that goes in the space, but it's nothing like the tension of being a queer Latter-day Saint (laughs) because us allies could step out and leave the tension. But if you're queer, you can't. And so that's the reality of an ally. I love, I'm talking too much listeners, but 
Um, Bridge Over Troubled Water, I put that in my first book. It's a Simon and Garfunkel song that I've always liked. But when I became an ally, the words of that is what I think Jeff and I are both trying to do is, it's your time to shine. I'm sailing right behind you, but you're in front. And it's your story that's important. And my role as an ally is to lift your story or to bring forth teachings like Jeff is doing that help us better understand and support you and then sort of get out of the way. Um, anyway, Jeff, I'm turning it back to you for more thoughts or concluding comments, but this has been a powerful podcast, one of the very best we've done. And I just want you to know that I've always sent your good heart, but from your Instagram, but there's something about hearing you speak and just knowing your good heart and your commitment to the gospel and your understanding of our doctrine and sort of paying the price to learn it through um, really committed ongoing scripture study and prayer and meditation and thoughts. So back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Richard. I, I really appreciate that. I, I, I love that you brought up the term faith expansion because um, that is something that sort of changed in my vocabulary because I felt like this second time around, it it has. I I think maybe there was a moment of crisis, but from there, it's it's turned into it's it's turned into an expansion. I realized that the way I understood the gospel of Jesus Christ was so small, um, and and we talk about so much um, expanding the tent of Zion, right? Lengthening. Um, I think it's broaden the stakes and and strengthening the cords. I think is the terms that are used in the scriptures, and that just goes so well along with this faith expansion. And I, again, I feel like that just aligns so much with what Jesus Christ did during his ministry. Right? Um, people sort of understood him in the church in one certain way, and he came and helped us realize that, that all these people that you thought couldn't be a part of it or shouldn't be a part of it. They actually are. Um, and they should be, and they can be, and we need to go and find them and bring them in. He told us to gather everybody, you know, he said to cast a huge net and, and bring in everybody. Um, yeah, I love his parables, the way he, the way he teaches that. I also really appreciated what you were saying about how you need to figure out your own way to be an ally. Um, I'm so grateful to have found a way that I can do it, but it's it's been wonderful to talk to other individuals through my Instagram page about the ways that they're doing it in their local congregations. As you probably know, for this last Sunday, I encouraged those who were comfortable doing it um, to wear something rainbow to church on Sunday. And it was so wonderful to see, you know, some people had beautiful dresses on where it was just rainbow from head to toe and other people just had a tiny little pin on or maybe a, a earrings or a hair bow. Um, some didn't quite feel comfortable doing that at church yet, um, but bore their testimony about how Heavenly Parents love everybody. Um, and 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 it was so powerful to see and hear stories of people being allies in their own way, whether that's a pride flag out front, whether it's a pin on their lapel, whether it's earrings, whether it's saying something in Sunday school or a testimony meeting or sharing something on Instagram any of those things, um, all, all can be so powerful. I can't tell you the number of people who have messaged me and said, I wore a pin to church and the second or third, or even the first week that I did it, one of the youth came and talked to me or cool. even came out to me because they knew that I was safe. And I'm pop. to think about the impact that that can have on that precious child of God from something so simple. Sometimes we feel like we need to do more and we can't always do a little bit more, but if you start with something so small, it can make the biggest difference, even if it's just inviting somebody over to dinner. Um, um, and 
what I know in doing this is I have never felt the love of my heavenly parents more than I do now. Somehow in feeling it for so many other people, I, that's how I feel it for me too. Stone catching is what the good news of the gospel is all about. That's what Jesus Christ did for the people he interacted with during his ministry, but that's what he did for each one of us and what he has asked us to do. And what I think what we have covenanted to do at baptism, um, I'm sorry, I'll try to wrap this up, Richard. I think about Mosiah 18 often, and I think many people do about the baptismal covenants there. We covenant to mourn with those that mourn, comfort those that stand in need of comfort, and stand um, and bear one another's burdens that may be, may be light. The part I didn't always understand or where my understanding has expanded was the fourth part, and that is to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all things and in all places. And I used to think that that meant I had to be willing to tell people when they were wrong about God or when I thought they were wrong about God, because of course there was a time in my life that I knew everything. <laughs> uh, that time is not anymore. But in my study, as I combine that with my favorite scripture, which is first John four, eight, God is love. What that covenant means to me now is that we stand as witnesses of love at all times and in all things and in all places. That's what it means to stand as a witness of God, and that's what we've covenanted to do at baptism. Not to tell people when they're wrong, but to always tell people that their heavenly parents love them. Um, that's, that is how I understand the gospel. The way that we understand commandments and, and things like that may change over time. It has in our church's short 200-year history, and it probably will continue to do so as we know the restoration is ongoing. Those are some of my favorite quotes. But what will never change is that we should always be witnesses of love, regardless of whether we think somebody's making the right choices or not, we should always be witnesses of love. Thank you, Jeff Anderson. At ladder.day.stonecatchers. Um, we'll link to that account as well as Jeff's podcast, Jeff's YouTube, um, that are under that same umbrella. And I'll link to Elder Uchtdorf's quote in case you want to use that in any of your work. Um, thank you, Jeff, for your work. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. I feel a really tender spirit, and I sense some of you have felt the same. And so this is Jeff Anderson, Richard Osler, signing off for another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>